Jay, I know you're secretly a little bit stagey. Yeah. So what show are you loving at the moment? Um, like, what are you listening to? I was obsessed with A Strange Loop. Um, <gasps> oh! Yeah, I was, and I saw it in New York. <gasps> yeah, I was. I, I still am obsessed with it, but now I've seen it as well, so I've got the visual to go along with the um, cast. Did you love it? It's amazing. It's so good. You need to see it. It's so beautiful um, and affirming and made me cry and laugh and everything. It's just beautiful. I also saw the third cover who was like, unbelievable he had one of the most beautiful voices i've ever heard and i was like i was like this is so representative of like how we should think of like covers because as a third cover he was exceptional i mean like so 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 incredible and i was like yeah like at one point i guess i was a third cover hamilton so and i would always rate myself as doing a good job so it's you know that you i think we have a warped way of thinking about it because i think when i when I saw the third cover was on, I was like, oh, third cover, okay. And then he just started, and I was like, oh, this is just beautiful. So good. Hello and welcome to In The Frame. Today's episode is a special one because our guest is Jay Perry, who actually did our second ever podcast when he co-hosted the West End Frame show back in 2019. Um, and now fast forward well over 200 episodes of the West End Frame show and In The Frame. It is such a pleasure to have him back on. Jay has had a pretty remarkable career. He started out as a member of S Club Juniors as a child after doing the West End production of Whistle Down The Wind. He went on as an adult to come back to theatre and has done so many incredible shows, including Hairspray at the Gordon Craig Theatre, Save the Last Dance for Me on tour. He then returns to the West End in Beautiful, where he played a drifter at the Aldwych Theatre before joining Motown the Musical as an understudy for Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye and Barry Gordy. He went on to take over as Barry Gordy full-time, marking his leading man debut. He starred as Bill in The Watermills 2019 revival of Kiss Me Kate, was a standby for Songs for a New World at the London Palladium, and joined the West End cast of Hamilton as a standby for Burr, Lafayette and Hamilton. He went on to take over as Burr in the show and received an incredible response for his performance. Rightly so, I saw it. He was an insane Burr. He's always doing the most. He's doing workshops and he's presented radio shows and popped up on our screens and done all sorts of things. If you've seen Jay on stage, you will know he is just the most insane hard-working performer. Every time I've seen him on stage, he's always given a scene-stealing performance. So it was so great to sit down, chat through his career, talk about what he stands for, um, his allyship for the trans community, and all the different work that he does. Here's the interview. Jay Perry, you're in the frame. Hi. I love that you're waving to your microphone. <laughs> waving to me. Yeah. <laughs> How are you? What's going on? I'm really good, thank you. I'm well. Um, it's been a while, isn't it? I know. It's been a minute. You were just saying I did the second one of these ever. You did my second ever podcast, The Worst Time Frame Show, our other show. 
and I just come back. I had no idea what I was doing. You were out here being this professional, like radio presenter, so you were showing me the ropes. <laughs> you mean just interrupting you constantly? Just but that's what I was supposed you. to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you was we had so much fun, and then suddenly, like over two hundred episodes later. Here we are. I'm back. You're back. I'm back. Long overdue. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. And I feel like, you know, I feel like you've been doing quite a lot as well. You just finished in Motown. Yeah, so I was going to say, I was trying to work out where I was last time, um, comparatively. You had just finished Motown yeah. and you were auditioning like crazy. Yes. And doing lots of dance calls. <laughs> so that's so ironic that now I'm back auditioning like crazy <laughs> and doing loads of dance calls. And just come here fresh from a dance call. <laughs> Circle. Was I as unhappy about dance calls then as I am now? Yeah, you were so shady <laughs> about the dance call that you were going to. <laughs> well, that never changes then. You can, <laughs> there can be 550,000 episodes of this and you can guarantee that I'll still come back and complain about dance calls. <laughs> Every 200 podcasts, which is, which is, you could come back then. Yeah, and, No, slash, let's do it way sooner next time. Um, I went, like, you've just finished, well, you finished in Hamilton a little while ago now. Mm-hmm. What was what was it like to say goodbye and to then venture back into the real world? Yeah, I mean, I left Hamilton on such good terms in my mind, you know. I didn't leave it being bitter or jaded or ready to go. Like, um, I mean, I was ready to go, but I didn't leave it, like, you know, with any animosity or whatever. It mm-hmm. felt like the perfect time to leave. I still love the show. I love everyone I did the show with. So it just felt like the right time, you know. Um, but it's strange outside of Hamilton. I'd forgotten how much of a bubble I was living in in Hamilton world. And so now getting back to the auditions and the real world, I'm like, oh, Actually, uh, Hamilton was pretty cushy. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton is, I don't know how you were doing what you were doing in that show. I don't know how you were covering those roles. I just cannot imagine. I take my hat off to covers in any show, doing anything, singing, etc. But in Hamilton, when it's those lyrics, and also I imagine the staging is very detailed and specific because I love looking at the lighting design and seeing how detailed that is. But it must be a lot. Yeah, it's no joke. Hamilton is no joke, especially as a cover of any form, whether that's a swing or a standby or whatever. It is no joke. But they drill it in you (laughs) to the point that you just can't mess it up. Like, it is so drilled. Like, more than any rehearsal period I've ever been a part of it is just drilled continuously and you spend six to eight weeks on one track and then you spend another six to eight weeks on another track right so it was one track at a time literally one track at a time and then you just continue until (laughs) until you've learned them all really (laughs) and by that point you know the show literally backwards so Mm -mm -mm. yeah and you just had this amazing run as burr as well which must have been so great to just stick to the one to just settle into that life and that routine and also then to get the acclaim for it as well I guess right yeah that was glorious like it was so lovely having covered three roles and then you know dropping down to doing one role for six months essentially I was like this is just the dream it reminded me one how much I potentially don't love covering (laughs) Um, I mean I don't think I was a bad cover I just don't think it's really for me you know, you know, I'm someone that wants to be on every single night. I want to 
be able to explore the character more and more and grow and really it's difficult to do that as a cover isn't it you've kind of got to get in there and do what you can do on the day and Mm. cross your fingers and hope it goes well whereas having that run just allowed me to really just explore the character and really have fun with him and make him my own and um yeah find out what Burr was for me who he was for me and how we could like meet in the middle somewhere and oh my gosh, I came. You didn't tell me that it was the last night of your run when I told you I was coming. And you tore that stage <laughs> apart. Like, it was outrageous what you were doing in that role. You were doing the most as Burr. Yeah, let me tell you, I was stupid. Like, it got to the point, I guess, where I was just like, Burr can be whatever you want Burr to be. That's the fun part about him as a character. He is whoever you want him to be and especially what he becomes like he may start off quite contained and quite you know still and stoic but he becomes this monster this beast and so kind of like I just let I was just having fun with it by the end I was just like I'm gonna let the audience have it and so on my last night there's no doubt that I was acting the fool (laughs) acting the fool (laughs) (laughs) but what I love is I just feel like I didn't appreciate what a triple threat role but is like you need everything and I feel like oh you know everyone does their own thing with it and that's the beauty of it and Hamilton really I feel like is open to that to a certain degree which is great but you were just dancing for days and like rumour it happened was just outrageous and then like the vocals and wait for it like silk just everything sorry I'm just that's not even a question oh thank you yeah (laughs) more of that please Give me more. You're just going to sit here and I'm going <laughs> to praise you for the next hour. Perfect. That's why I'm here. Um, yeah, no, it was... Burr, to me, is the best role in the West End. So to have got to play that role, to have been credited with it, to have done that, ticked that off my list, is iconic. And I love that that's something that I've achieved in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as uh, it is a triple threat role. It's It's you bring as much of all of it as you want to to it and I really tried to challenge myself to bring Mm. the acting bring the vocals and yeah dance even though he doesn't love a a dance call he was like I'm gonna I'm gonna show you I can dance you say yeah we're gonna discuss more things you've done everyone knows you can dance uh okay in beautiful that's what I remember. Really? Honestly, yeah. I, we wouldn't talk about it in a sec, but I just remember that's the first time I saw you probably on stage and and you really stood out for me for your like your performance and what you're giving us. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Lovely. This is oh, this is so I don't good. normally do this, by the way. This like. is so lovely. Thank you very much, Andrew. <laughs> Let's rewind. Let's go back <laughs> into the past uh, to quote Hamilton, rewind, rewind. Right. Um Obviously, everyone knows S Club Juniors, blah, mm-hmm. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And maybe we'll touch on that in a sec. But I want to know, like, was there a stagey part to Jay Perry when you were growing up, when you were a kid? How's, like, was theatre present in your life? Yeah, so uh, my first West End job was when I was nine. So, yeah, she was she was a stagey girl. She was a stagey girl from the beginning. Yeah, so... Uh, my first West End job was Whistle Down the Wind when I was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I was then like on the How circuit. did you get that? Were you like, you were, you were going to like drama school? Yeah. So like yeah. an agent and stuff. Yeah, so I had an agent and everything. So I was a proper stagey kid. Um, and I was, and you know, like, it's funny because now I see people who I did Whistle with um, now as adults. And um, 
it's so funny when we try and we try and reminisce about how obnoxious and precocious we were as children. I then obviously went on to do S Club Juniors and become even more obnoxious and precocious. (laughs) (sighs) And so, yeah, whenever I bump into people that I did whistle down the wind with, it's almost like we just apologize to each other for just being horrors like and just being terrors. Um, But yeah, I did that from when I was nine. And then I was auditioning. I auditioned for Lion King. I think I got Lion King, actually, and never ended up doing it because of S Club Juniors. Wow. Um, (gasps) What could have been? Yeah, so I could have been a a cute little young Simba, I think. Jay Perry turned down Disney's The Lion King. That's the headline. Right, and they've never let me back since. <laughs> <laughs> Would you want to go and play Simba now? Um, I don't think so, no. I actually don't, no. Um, I think it's a lovely part, obviously, but I just feel like there's so much more out there now. I, in my head, that was very much, when I was first getting into the game, I think that was like what everyone touted as the, like, the epitome of what you could reach, you know, as a black person or a black boy of... 5'11 to 6 foot, you know, around that. Um, and uh, now I'm like, nah, nah. I actually... We can do... We can do well, a bit more than that. Yeah, I was going to say better, but better not the right word because it's just what... It's right yeah, it's not you. even... It's not... Yeah, the, the... I guess the takeaway is not that I don't want to do Lion King. I think the takeaway is more that, for me, now it's about what can I do that's really going to, like surprise people it's discovering what's getting you excited and where you want to be going and i think that's what's really cool and that's why i love asking people about like what was the dream then and what's the dream now etc because essentially everything you do you add it to your toolkit right you're learning you're learning you're learning yeah so when s-lab juniors happened Mm. were you like oh my god now i'm going to be a pop star Mm, yeah yeah and i was still as I mean, I say I was obnoxious and precocious. I did go into that very kind of open-minded and actually just did it for the joy. Like, there wasn't a sense of, oh, I'm going to become famous. Oh, I'm going to be a pop star. Oh, this and that. It wasn't that. It was, this should be really fun in theory. And the majority of it was fun. Um, But I think that at some point it did switch into becoming more of a job. And I guess once it had switched into being more of a job, that's when it got harder and less enjoyable. Um, And so I think I always have that in my mind with everything I do now, which is like the minute it becomes too much of a job, it's like it's time for something new, probably. Mm. For context, remind people how old you were when you were in S Club Juniors. So I was 13. I was actually 12 when I got in S Club Juniors. Yeah, 12 until I was about 15. Yeah, it's crazy. That's that's literally up to fifteen. So that's literally your childhood. You were working. You were out here doing things. Yeah. During lockdown, you did this series right on Instagram where you reconnected with all of the other S Club Junior members. Yes. And I watched quite a lot of them, and it was so interesting to hear you reliving experiences of different people and to hear what they were saying. And right. That must have been quite cool for you to do that as well. I loved every second of that. I had the best time. I came up with the idea when I was just sitting twiddling my fingers doing nothing in lockdown and I was like you know there's this whole kind of world and life that I've had before what I do now that I'd never really explored Um, I think because at some point I'd made the decision that it wasn't very cool to talk about S Club Juniors or wasn't very cool to talk about being a pop star or whatever why Um, what was this no I think that that's what you do as like maybe like a an older 
teen. Yeah, I was okay. like, you it's make tricky. that decision where you're like, oh, actually, that wasn't very cool. So we'll put that to the back burner. And then obviously, I'm a lot older than a y- old teen now. <laughs> so it was definitely... Not a lot. I definitely look back on it now really fondly and can yeah. look back on it and see the beauty in it and see the, the how f- exciting it was. Um, and so... Yeah, so now uh, it felt like the right time to kind of reconnect with everyone. I knew everyone was going to be available. So I was like, (laughs) no one can tell me they're too busy. Um, Yeah, so it was a really good opportunity to just catch up, tell stories, um, and I guess be a bit more real. um, And for everyone to get a glimpse of everyone now as they are now having had babies and marriages and careers and you know normal life and whatever and it was yeah I thought it was really beautiful I loved it I couldn't believe how you spoke with most of them about how did the end happen how did you find out about the end because you had quite the way it ended was crazy right yeah it was very abrupt so traumatic for people I mean anybody but for people so young explain what happened well yeah it was a really abrupt end essentially there was almost like a they'd almost spoken about like having a hiatus or something like that um where we were kind of going to concentrate on going back to school or whatever Mm -hmm. and doing our GCSEs which is I guess where we where we were in time um and then it was just that was the end there actually was never a hiatus it was just the end and that was kind of it and some of us had been privy to more information than others and some That's of us... That's what's interesting about yeah, that series. Yeah. yeah, some of us some of us immediately were signed on by the record label or the management label as solo artists or whatever. And then some of us just never heard from them ever again, which was... I was one of them that never really heard from them ever again, which at the time really suited me because I think in my mind I was ready for the break and I was ready to go on and be a normal kid and just experience life which I felt like I hadn't necessarily up until then. Um, But looking back on it as an adult, it's like, that must have been slightly traumatic. (laughs) That that abrupt end and that kind of, there was no aftercare. And that's, I guess, the the thing that's that's wild about it. Mm, You literally just trapped back into (laughs) Just into normal life, yeah, exactly. Back into reality, yeah. But I kind of look back at it now and think that I wouldn't have had it any other way because it really did make me adapt. It made me a very adaptable person in terms of knowing how you could approach people, knowing that people would have a preconception of who I am before I went into any kind of conversation with them and knowing that actually I had to maybe offer a little bit more of myself to them Mm. for them to potentially think of me as a decent human as opposed to the prerequisite that they maybe walked into with it and... That has served me quite well in this industry. So, mm. oh, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, yeah, that thing of like, because it's uh, that Jay Perry and all that. Yeah, Jay wasn't very nice. Or right. You feel like there's an average person doesn't experience that in their day to day and can be, you know, just not overly polite to someone from Costa and just get away with it. Whereas, yeah, it's... absolutely, yeah, especially in this industry because you know the majority of people that I work with in this industry. Mm say to me that they auditioned for that job, you know, that they auditioned for Escob Juniors. Um, and so I think there's, yeah, there's this kind of world where people have a little bit of a preconception of who you're going to, how you're going to be with them mm. um, because of what you've done previously. Mm. And it's actually quite fun breaking that preconception and then being like, actually, you're, a, you're pretty decent. You're a lot of fun. So I guess that's nice. Exhausting sometimes, but also... Well, it's essentially, it's not fair. It's, like, not fair, is it? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's not ideal. 
and it was a lot of work i think in the in the first 5 6 years of my career especially you know in this industry it doesn't happen to me anymore people have either completely forgotten don't care or know me for other things well now, yeah so. exactly you're totally proving that you're firmly established as in a different you know for other things yeah um Side note, so on Instagram this week, someone asked you what you're doing a Q&A and someone was like, Would, are you going to reunite with his Club Genius? And your response made me laugh so much. <laughs> like, not this year. <laughs> the worst part about that was someone messaged me then, like there's like a S Club Junior fan site and they're so desperate for us to re- reunite, of course. Um, and they were like, oh, very coy answer. And they were like, oh, is that a hint? And I was like, literally, I couldn't have made it more clear that it is just not something I'm interested in right now. Like, um, yeah, it's it. Whenever I do a Q&A, I have to just steal myself because I know that 80% of the questions will be, are you going back into S Club Juniors? And now the the other 20% is, are you going back into Hamilton? So <laughs> between the two, it's, um, yeah. I thought, you, I thought you dealt with it very, very well. Explain then the difference. When you left S Club Juniors, was there like PTSD for all of entertainment or because you, you like wanted to be a kid and stuff? Was, was entertainment and then potentially theatre on the horizon? Because obviously you'd really changed gear like you know other people in the subjunions went on to pursue the pop thing yeah. etc um and that could have been an avenue that maybe you know you could have gone down and wanted to just sing etc but obviously you came back to musical theater eventually yeah so what did that path look like that was a it was a conscious decision to stop for quite a while um yeah ptsd of the whole entertainment mm-hmm. industry i didn't want to sing i didn't want to dance i didn't wow. want to do any of it for a little while just because it's Having started so young, having started even before S Club Juniors within theatre as well, I think I'd done it since I was eight up until I was 16. And I was like, I just need a break. Um, And I just want to go and drink alcohol with my friends in the park. And I just want to, you know... Live your life. Yeah, just be a kid. Like, um, try and get into bars and clubs. (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? I just wanted to be a kid and just be normal. Uh, or I guess what I thought was normal. Mm. Um, and I had the best time, to be honest. I had a good three or four years of school and sixth form and just fitting in and just being, you know, one of the lads. Um, yes. Yeah, one of the lads, he says, is inverted commas. Loving um, your football. Right, exactly. Loving my football, which I still love today to this day. Um, yeah, so it it just was nice to just chill and not even think about it and then it didn't it wasn't till i was maybe like 21 that i was like yeah what i want to do is perform what how, did you do how does that school? look what did you do so i did sixth form so i did that till i was 18 and then when i was 18 i moved to italy for a little while i moved oh. to milan yeah random what? so random i moved to milan and the plan was we're going to study fashion we're going to live in milan we're going to be like in like the fashion world and that's how we're going to express ourselves and la di da di da that's major uh, yeah how how silly is that um what no, a choice that's everything uh it turned out that milan was not the place for me i struggled to learn the language because i'm not a language person 
Because <laughs> I guess maybe we just think that we can just go and do things and it will yeah. just happen. And actually, I was like, oh, this language thing's well hard. <laughs> like, and no one speaks English in 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 Italy really. They just don't. And so, uh, yeah, we 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 got by. But we do you remember was... anything in oh, Italian? Not can you say bit. hello? Well, obviously, I'm going to Italy next week, so I'm going to dust off these uh, dust off these cogs. You're like, yeah, I lived here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> This is so funny. Right, I'm going to dust off them uh, that Rosa, Rosetta Stone and uh, see where we're at. See where we're at. Um, yeah, and so uh, I lived in Italy for about a year, maybe less. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I don't know, honestly. And so came can... back, tail between my legs. I was like, that was not for me. The fashion world also is more cutthroat than the entertainment industry. It's more... Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a lot, um, and so yeah, it took me. It took I procrast I procrastinated for a a little while for another year probably while I was deciding what I wanted to do and decided what how I wanted to do performance, what mm. kind of performance yeah. worked for me, and then I was like, okay, musical theatre is the closest that I can get to that connection with the audience, enjoying being a performer, being a showman, which is what I kind of think I am. That's the 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 area I feel like I thrive in Um, and without being feeling the need to stay relevant I don't have to stay relevant I can literally get on the tube after doing a performance and put my head down put my earphones on and just chill and be myself which I love Um, so yeah musical theatre felt like the best fit and then yeah, we started that long journey to try and. So you don't just click your fingers, sadly, <laughs> oh, yeah. do you? No, we started a long, long journey to try and you know edge my way into that world. Considering that I hadn't gone to a traditional college like everyone else had, and I was, but because t- I was like twenty one by the time I'd made that decision, I was like, I don't really have time to go and do three years at arts ed or whatever. Which maybe I wish I would have. I'd be a slightly better dancer. But um, uh, yeah, I just I didn't have the time. I was like, I'm gonna just do this now and see how it works out. So how does that look like? How do you decide you're gonna do musical theatre and just do it? Um, well, I had some context from when I was younger in terms of, and I don't mean Escob Junior context. I mean like whistle down the wind, whistle like... down the wind context. Yeah, like so, like Pippa Alien was like my first port and call. Actually, like Pippa Alien is a casting director. You're not the first person to tell me this, you know. She was my first port and call. I was like, okay, cool. I had the link from when I was younger. She had, um, I think she was casting Lion King at the time, so she yeah. knew me from from back in from back in the day, and I. Just sent her my CV. I sent her a cover letter and just said, look, I'm trying to get into the industry. Have you got any advice? Is there anything you could, you know, is there any direction you could point me in? And she literally called me in for a Lion King audition for, you know, then and there the next week. And it must have been the most awful audition of my life. Like, I would have gone in so underprepared. I wouldn't have known what I was doing. But it gave me an opportunity to kind of put myself in the world again, immerse myself in that world. And, yeah, and so... I then started looking at agents and managed to scrape myself an agent who was pretty young and a bit uh, a bit of an up and comer as well. And we we kind of just started making things happen together, I guess. Um, yeah. And then your first was it? It was hairspray you went into. Was that first at Gordon Craig Theatre? <sighs> so before that, I had done the 
I'd done the tour, so I toured in Save the Last Dance for Me. Right, right, Which right, was right. a Bill Kenwright show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Did you see it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had a lovely little part. It was a lovely little featured role. Um, got to sing a lot of lovely songs that were perfect for my voice because they were all kind of like pop songs of the 60s. Um, and so, yeah, it was a really lovely showcase um, showcase show for me, I guess. And <laughs> I learned a lot. Because if anyone's done a Bill Kenroy show, they know that a lot of it is just kind of get on and give it a go and see what happens. Like it feels like, um, yeah, you really group together and make it all happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's no shade at all um, because it was it taught me so much about etiquette. It taught me so much about teamwork. It taught me so much about being around people who I just adored. Like I was also around people who I was just like, you're amazing. And I want to be just as amazing as you. And so how do I get to that level? What kind of work do I need to put in to get to your level? The people that I was in that show with had all come off town shows. They'd all come off West End gigs and stuff. And so I was like, that's where I want to be. So how do I make that happen? And so it was a perfect learning experience for me. And it was the first time I toured well, outside of a pop group. Well, that's say, side note, how does Jay Perry tour? Well, that's been my first and last tour since. Um, I'm like, I just see you in five suitcases. Yeah, that's my first and last tour. And uh, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I wish people could see your face. Me touring now is, oh, I don't know. That would have to be the right show. You like a regional run, right? Like you love going to the water. I've done a regional moment. Yep. Um, <laughs> Come on, regional moment. Right. It would. Ha- there were ducks and everything. For me, to, there was ducks and everything. For me to tour, it would have to be the right, the perfect gig. It'd have to be a show I really, really major. Do. Yeah. yeah, and in a part that is all me. <laughs> that you couldn't do in the West End. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and also. Yeah, we'd have to. It'd be have to be a hotel moment as well because this digs thing, no baby. They need to sort it out. No baby, this digs thing, not for me. So you're living your best life. You were kind of doing a fast few things. Mm-hmm. You're like on the map. Mm-hmm. I guess Carson and the rest of you getting to know you. Mm-hmm. And then like West End adult debut. Yes. In Beautiful, right? Yes. And like I said, that is an amazing show. Everyone, I feel like, is really featured in it. Yeah. And you have moments upon moments. And I think, I I, I, put, I did see Save the Last Dance Me, but I, I remember seeing Beautiful, and I remember being like, ooh, who's this? I kind of kind of recognised you. I was like, who's this? But it was like, like looking at the programme, because you were standing out, giving us vocals, dancing, boom, 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 boom. Was it, did it feel like that was a big moment for you? Oh, for sure. It was like a life-changing moment. Um, I... And I'll always be grateful to that show in general. I think it's such a gorgeous show. I love it to this day. Stunning. I think it's so stunning. Um, And it was a privilege to be a part of it. I worked with some of the best people in the industry even now. Um, And to see how far Mm -hmm. a lot of us have gone from that original cast is just such a joy. Um, so yeah, so to be a part of that was amazing. And again, it was just taking things up another level. So anything I'd learned from Save the Last Dance or Hairspray or whatever, I then took that and had to amplify it, um, for the West End and for, for this incredible original cast show, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was my, my thing with jobs is every time I do a job, I want to kind of leave it better than I went into it. 
and I I feel like I left that job um, a better performer because of everyone around me. I was like, yeah, I want to be as good as you. I was looking, you know, I was dancing with Michael Duke next to me, um, and I was like, yeah, I want to be as good as you are, Michael. Like, and you know, Michael plays Bob Marley and um, Get Up Stand Up now, and to me, he's one of the best performers I've ever performed with. Um, but yeah, I was looking, le- like he was to the right of me, to the left of me is Joel Harper Jackson, like, mm-hmm. you know, in front of me is Daniel Steers, like, you know, oh. like, it's like Tanisha Spring, like, we're talking about, like, Look at the talent that Sharon came out Rose, of that we're show. talking about some of the most incredible West End performers we have now, um, and they were just all around me, and I was like, how could you not take in that, like, that greatness, you know? Mm. And not that you had anything to prove, because you shouldn't have, but I guess maybe there was part of you that was like, I didn't train, I, you know, I've come from this different background, and here you were proving to everybody that you were just as good and that you could do it and you could bang out eight shows a week and give everything as well. So it must have maybe, like, kind of improved your confidence almost or, like, like reassured you that, yes, I can do this, I can be here in this space with you. Yeah, for sure. It's quite, it is quite affirming, I think. I think that... A big misconception is people that don't train aren't necessarily going to have the stamina to be able to do eight shows a week or they're not going to have the etiquette or they're not going to have the desire or the drive or the the natural talent, you know. And that's a huge misconception, I think, that, you know, now we're seeing more than ever so many artists who haven't necessarily trained in the traditional sense that we're used to um, thriving. And I love to see it. And uh, yeah, but a lot of my early career, I think, was me trying to prove myself in a way where I felt like I could stand up to to everyone else around me. Um, And I'm so glad that that's left behind, that I've left that behind me now. I'm glad that I've kind of shaken that off. When did you think you shook it off? It wasn't until I was in Motown. It wasn't until I took over that role, I don't think, until I kind of was like all right, well, like, you've got no choice now. Like, you literally have to lead from the front. So let's do it. Explain. So obviously, beautiful, best time ever. Then I was straight into, into Motown, right? Yeah, yeah. I actually stayed two years in Beautiful. So I did the first year and then the second year. Right, 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 right. And that right. was that was more of like a security choice. Like, I think I wanted the, the feeling safe in something I was doing. And mm. um, it wanted a bit of stability for a while. Um, but then when I was ready to go, it was, yeah, it was like full steam ahead. And, um, like, what? so exp- people explain what happened. So you were, like, were you th- second or third cover for Barry Gordy, right? So I, yeah. You so, like an emergency cover or something. Yeah, so I moved to, I moved on to Motown and I was in the ensemble. I had a lovely little feature ensemble role singing My Girl, which is obviously one of the most iconic Motown tracks. Um, and then probably about six months into the run, they realised they needed an emergency Barry Gordy. Um, and... It, uh, they offered me the opportunity to to become the third cover, which I was like, great, absolutely. It's a bit more cash. Um, <laughs> if I ever get to do it, it'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a nice challenge, I guess. It ended up that I never actually ended up getting to go on um, as the third cover, the emergency cover. Um, but I did audition for the actual role the following year and ended up getting it. So... I had a huge, huge jump from third cover to the role. Um, Explain, because like that is not something that we see happening that often. We recently had um, second cover Anna is now taking over as the lead Anna in Fraser, and that's amazing. But I mean, we don't, it doesn't happen enough where first covers or alternates or standbys get you know that opportunity. Yeah. And so there must have been people like raising their eyebrows, like what's going on, or you know that it's so that you essentially went in and you proved yourself. Yeah, I think I think that. 
I think a lot of people were like, what is going on here? Like, I didn't think I was in with a shot, but it allowed me to go into the audition process with like with just leading with joy and fun mm. like i literally went in and was just like these songs are so fun these are the songs that i would hear growing up that my dad would play that my nan would play you know these this is the music of my culture you know and so let's go in and have fun with them and that's kind of what i led with and i guess that was what showed um and so yeah i mean i was as shocked as everyone else but i was like okay here we go let's do it um was that part of you there when you got it because obviously you were literally you were in that building every night. You were seeing the show. People always talk to me about, you know, you like work towards getting something. You really want it. You wanted everything in your body and you get it. And then you shift. And then you've got that period of time where like, can I do this? Yeah. you were watching Cedric do it every night. Yeah. And especially when you're taking over from someone like Cedric. I mean, come on. <laughs> this is Cedric Neal we're talking about. It's not like, fair. It's just, <laughs> it's literally setting people up to fail. <laughs> But, but not you. What it did is it gave me an opportunity to to really look at the role in a way where I was like, I will never be able to do this like Cedric did it. So let's find out how I'm going to do it and what the role looks like for me and find myself within this character. And I guess that was the challenge in between the time knowing I was taking over and actually taking over and starting the run. I think now had I... Had this been now in 2022 and the mm. the performer that I am now, I think I would have taken it even further and I think I would have, um, I think I would have deferred even more from what Cedric originally did and really tried to make it a completely new option, a new character for me. Um, but this was my first leading role. It was my first opportunity outside of an ensemble or outside of a cover role. Um, and... Uh, I think I did a, I think I did a great job, but uh, yeah, I, I look back on it now and I wonder how different it would have been with everything mm. I know now or the confidence that yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I saw I came in your last week. You were Natalie Kasanga. Oh my goodness! And um, I just forgotten. I hadn't seen it since its very first press night. I don't think, and I'd forgotten what a beast of a role it was. But you ate it up you were giving everything but I just can't imagine how you sustain that for that period of time and especially that being your first kind of leading role and to do it for it to be that what a challenge what a, it must have yeah. been hard it was the hardest thing I've ever done including covering three of the biggest tracks in Hamilton really Barry Gordy was the hardest thing I've ever done by any stretch just because there was nothing that could, could have prepared me for it even mentally like I think going from being in the ensemble and having only ever had that experience within West End shows or whatever, um, to leading a show and the responsibility that I think falls on your shoulders when you lead a show, like I took it so seriously, which I don't know whether that was maybe the best way to approach it, but I did take it desperately seriously. And so put so much pressure on myself. Mm. I wanted to always stay at a certain level. I wanted to always be consistent. I wanted to always be in the building. I wanted, you know, there was so much that I wanted to to prove to myself, I guess. Um, and I'm not sure whether I was 100% realistic with that. Um, because it was a beast. We're talking about a show that has 52 songs in it and Barry Gordy sings 50 of them. <laughs> like, it, was that what it felt? That's what it felt like, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, it was one of them And things... a huge acting challenge. Like, it's a long period yeah. of time and you're, yeah. you know, going way beyond you know who you are like it's huge it was a it was a lot it was a lot but i loved it and it was the challenge of my life and i did it like i think that's the most important thing is that i 
did a year and three months, I think, in that in that role. And again, left with just a completely different idea of who I could be as a performer. Mm. Before, if you had asked me six months before doing that role, do you ever see yourself in a leading man capacity? I probably would have gone, oh, I don't know, probably hopefully one day to leaving it, knowing that that was something that I could do and knowing that I could mm. could uh, could reach that level, you know? Mm. One thing I always wanted to talk about is you are someone who knows what you stand for, know what you want to speak up about, you're not afraid to do it, and I feel like a lot of people really respect you and hold you in high regard, and obviously Motown, that was your first time leading a company, and I, I, no, I don't think people always know what that's going to be like, the responsibility of that, until you're doing it, because essentially you've got to set the tone, right? And, yeah. um you know, if if you get a leading person who potentially isn't leading in the best possible way, that can have a massive knock-on effect. So I wanted to ask in a second about when you realised or when you... Was it a conscious thing that happened naturally about when you, you know, saying on Twitter what you think and, you know, ending up on national television talking about it, etc. Like, if that was... You know, do you think part of that... Was playing that role in Motown, having that responsibility, leading that company, do you think that kind of changed gear inside your head of kind of who you were and what you stood for, etc.? Or the ability of talking about it? So it's a big, complicated question. No, yeah, yeah. I, hear, I, I understand what you're trying to say. I mean, I think that the level of responsibility that I tried to take on at Motown was probably too great in in wow. in, in hindsight. Yeah. Just in the way that I think that I was, I was just so hard on myself. And if I didn't feel like I did a good show, it would it would really get at me, like and stuff like that. You'd be upset. And, yeah, and and there was times where this, you know, you don't have the best show, you know, like the level that I want to work at and the level that I want to be at in terms of what I put out is really high. And sometimes you fall beyond, you know, below that. And I think realizing that that's okay and understanding that we're all fallible and that you know that we have our good days and bad days and things that happen outside work can filter into your job and you know and sometimes your voice is just tired or you know you need a bit of a break emotionally or whatever is actually something I learned coming out of that so coming out of that process I learned to be a bit more kind to myself and in turn I think that's meant that it also means that I'm trusting I, I now trust myself more and I trust what I have to say and the way that I feel and my intuition and stuff. And that allows me to speak more openly mm. and actively about things that I care about or things that are important to me. And so I think it wasn't necessarily the idea of feeling like I was an, in an accomplished place. It was actually more that I realised that when I give myself more of a break and allow myself to make mistakes and stuff, I feel like is when I'm at my optimum and when I'm at my best, you know. And so... I tried to take that forward and offer that to other people and offer that as like within my activism. It's it's a big part of it is we're all just trying to do our best, you know, and we don't always get it right. But let's constantly try to challenge ourselves to, you know, to grow and learn from our mistakes and learn from things that didn't quite work out, you know. Mm -mm -mm. Do you remember when you first started kind of talking on Twitter and kind of saying things that you believed in i mean yeah i think I, I mean i i basically started therapy probably about five years ago now and i guess when i started therapy it really just started to change my mindset and my outlook on like life in general um and i just started to 
understand who I am as a person, get to know myself more, I guess. And the more I've got to know myself, the more I, as I say, trust myself. And I guess that's when you can start speaking out about things because I trust in, you know, I trust in what I have to say is, is, um, is authentic and is truthful and is coming from a good place I'm not anything that I say on Twitter is not coming from a place where I'm trying to ruffle feathers or trying to get into arguments or you know it's coming from a place of I want us all to this industry especially I want us to be at our optimum I want us to be at our best and sometimes you have to say a few things you know you have to be able to go actually that doesn't work anymore that outdated concept that we have been doing for however many years doesn't work anymore and how can we change it to make it more inclusive and how can we change it to make it better for everyone um, whether that's at the very bottom or at the very top and I guess I now feel like I've got to a place in my career where I don't feel like I'm trying to edge my way in anymore I feel like I'm in I feel like I've made it within the industry to a certain extent and so it's like okay how can I get more people in how can I get the people that felt like me at the beginning of my career in quicker and how can we or how can I make them feel like less like I did when I was you know trying to edge my way in you know Mm, essentially it's not totally fair is it it's never going to be fully fair but it's like there's so many areas that we can all improve in hugely hugely um and also I think I think like exactly what you say I think the reason people have so much respect for you and listen to you one of the reasons is because you're not out here as a you know keyboard warrior (laughs) putting your points of view across you know you're not trying to ruffle feathers you're very fair and you are very to the point and you make a lot of sense as well. And I think people can feel that, you know, and you're not doing it as well for um, for, the, for clout. You're not doing it to get the likes, you know, you might say something, it might get two likes, it might get 10,000, whatever. Right. Like, you're what, either way, it makes sense. And yeah. I think that's, maybe there's some people that, like have realized that oh you know speaking out is a thing or saying but they're actually doing it for the wrong reasons they're doing it because they think that might boost their kind yeah. of profile etc which is so wrong <laughs> yeah a bit messy um i i often say things as well where i'm like actually maybe you know and someone will reply back to me and they'll say i don't think you've looked at this quite right and they'll offer a different way of viewing it and actually that can be even more helpful really because i can kind of go back in it and go actually you're right yeah like that take wasn't quite it you know we're not mm-hmm. I realise that everything I say is not going to be, I'm not going to get it right every time. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get it right every time. But I guess what what I'm trying to do is live as authentically as possible. And so I think sometimes you say something in the heat of the moment, maybe, and and it can come across a little bit cold or a little bit biting or a little bit too too direct and someone might say something back and I'm like actually yeah you're right I'm sorry I apologize if that came off a little bit like that that wasn't actually my intention and I can kind of see your point and you know we've got to all be able to kind of realize that sometimes we're going to get it wrong so if I say something that isn't quite right then I'm well I think I'm well comfortable enough to kind of hold my hands up and go yeah I got that one wrong and I apologize I'm sorry what you like when you're doing a show with social media People love to share their opinions and 99% of the time people are lovely and supportive and theatre has the most dedicated, passionate fans who will see you beautiful and come and see every show you do after that, you know, time and time again. But I know, I think sometimes 
the kind of world of theatrical social media can be a scary place to be. Like, I am scared to go on Twitter. I've literally lost my voice on Twitter. Like, I can't actually bring myself to click compose and write a tweet. I just, my voice is gone. It's yeah. so weird. I used to write, I used to tweet so much. Um, so how how do you deal with that side? It's a very real thing, especially when you're in a show like Hamilton. Yes, yes. There is a world where it's like, we're in a cancel culture world, aren't we? So yes. you're in a world where it's like, if you do say the wrong, wrong thing, then it can be cancelled. Um, but again, like, I think the majority of the things that I want to say on Twitter or want to say about are things that I'm actually really passionate about mm. and really believe in, you know, and... I'm coming at it from an honest place and a good place and a kind place and a place of authenticity. And so with that, most of the time, I'm like not too stressed mm. out about the things that I say because I know where I'm coming at it from. Mm. It's, um, it's yeah, it's the ones where sometimes you've, you know, you've got yourself a bit riled up about something and then that can be a little bit... Well, about the flip side though, what about dealing with what the world you know being a show like Hamilton the noise that comes around that is that hard you know it's beautiful noise most of the time but is that are you quite good at kind of tuning out of that or tuning into it in a healthy way or like how do you deal with with that you know yeah I think you learn when to pull in and pull away don't you like a show like Hamilton has such a huge fandom and has such an, a huge online presence as well and so um, anything that you do or say has an implication um, but also people have a lot to say about your performance or, you know, or what you do within that show. Um, okay. And so I guess it's about, you know, enjoying the, you know, the moments, you know, I loved your performance. Thank you so much. That's lovely yeah. of you. And then there will always be someone who preferred someone else or there'll always be someone who didn't enjoy your performance. My favourite bird was. There will always be my favourite bird. And so you take it with a pinch of salt either way. Out of the YouTube comparison video. Literally, and... yeah, ah! literally. you got to take it with a pinch of salt because... You know, you can be one person's favourite burr and then a 10,000 people's least favourite burr. So, who mm. knows? Sorry, we're totally, like, sidetracked and talking about all sorts of different things. After you finished in Motown, I literally, I, I'm, I've seen everything you've done, really? like, out here. It's so funny. I'm I'm suddenly getting a discovery that I'm a Jane Perry super fan. <laughs> I came to Newbury to see Kiss Me Kate. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And I love that. I think actually now I remember that's what we were discussing on the podcast last right. time. I remember you saying that OT Mabuse was kicking your ass. Oh my gosh! Yeah, she whipping I, you into shape. Yeah, I lost a lot of weight doing that job because <laughs> she was <laughs> relentless. Like, yeah, and also obviously I'd come off doing Motown where I didn't have to dance at all. I just stood in the middle and sang. Um, so yeah. Coming, so funny. yeah. So coming into a job where she was like, "You're gonna dance," and she, yeah, I was dancing. But what I loved is that you were playing a role that we from like totally different to the stuff you'd done, and it was a completely different production. It was you, and you had Kimmy Edwards opposite you, right? You had a field day, and I just wish almost that it was closer to London and that more people could have seen it because what you were doing, what you, you were showing a whole different side of talents. And I would love to see you doing like some more revivals and some those kind of roles because that is just where you sit so beautifully, I think. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was cool to do something I'd never done before. Mm. You know, I'd never done something a bit more classic, something a little bit more legit or whatever. And so it was like, yeah, this is going to be a great challenge. Um, it was, you know, at in Newbury at the Watermill, which <laughs> is such a beautiful theatre. They've got a lovely team there. Um the location is stunning 
Um, so yeah, and it was a it was a nice summer in Newbury for me. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was excited to get back to London, but actually, when I came, you were like, "I can't stop! I've got to run! I got my train!" <laughs> so I was going back to London every like, weekend. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, we'd finish this on Saturday. I'd be like, "See ya! I'm off to London." Um, but yeah, it was. It was it was really nice to do something different. And again, it's another moment of going, you can do that. People have told you constantly that that's not for mm-hmm. you and that that's not a world you can sit in. You can sit in it. So mm-hmm. take up that space, you know. And I hope, you know, I hope that's what we're starting to see more of is producers, directors, casting directors thinking in different ways. And, and you know, there's a lot more that needs to be done, but it steps in the right direction. And I just hope that's what we get to see more of. Right? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Makes, yeah, massive, massive. I'll be difference. knocking on the door anyway, so okay. someone will have to let me in at some point. Absolutely. <laughs> You're out here. You're a, you know, qualified leading player now. People like, get me Jay Perry. <laughs> Tell you what, you do one of the, jumping back actually, one of the charities you work a lot with is Mermaids, right? Yeah. How did that partnership kind of begin? How did that work? How did that happen? I actually can't remember how we first got in contract, uh, contact, but um, I've been, yeah, I've been working for, with Mermaids for about, three to four years now, maybe, maybe longer actually, including the pandemic, I guess. So maybe about five years. Wow. Um, yeah, and I I essentially think what it was, I messaged them on Twitter or Instagram and I was like, I just want to volunteer some of my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'd done a little bit of stuff with Stonewall as well, like just, um, which was essentially going into their offices and just like enveloping things and just packing starter packs and just doing admin stuff at Stonewall because I just wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to be feel like closer to the queer community and start like doing a little bit more things within the queer community and giving back mm. um i think at the time i would i think at the time i was in beautiful or coming to the end of my time in beautiful and so i think i was i'd reached a place in my career where i was comfortable when i was working and really enjoying that part of it but i felt like i needed to kind of start giving back in other ways or yeah, start yeah, yeah, yeah. doing something that wasn't just being on stage and performing and so I literally just started messaging different charities in um, the queer community. So Stonewall, um, I did some stuff with uh, Terence Higgins. Um, so Yeah, so I just I was just doing whatever I could. Um, and M- Mermaids, who do incredible, incredible work um, with trans and non-binary kids and their families, essentially, was immediately something that I was like, yeah, like, this is this is something I want to be a part of. I think the trans movement is the civil rights movement of our time. Yeah. If you if anyone follows me on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, they know that I'm extremely um, vocal um, about my trans and non-binary family. Um, And so, yeah, it just felt like a perfect kind of um, partnership. so yeah, if there's anything that they need in regards to allyship, like, you know, I'm like, hit me up and let's do some work. And so whether that's, you know, using my platform or whether that's literally is just going into their office and doing some just helping and volunteering or, you know, showing up at a stand at Black Pride or whatever um, is, yeah, is worthwhile, I think, mm, you know. 100%. Other thing, tell me about Good Morning Britain. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Oh no. No, so what's what's funny about that was so I put out this tweet. Um if anyone didn't see it, I put out this tweet. It was it was after the, you know, the murder of Sarah Everard. Um I put out a tweet and it was literally just it was a call of allyship essentially and it was just asking is there any more that I could do, you know, as a man to make women feel more comfortable if we come across each other in, 
you know, a street setting or whatever. Just looking for any kind-hearted souls that wanted to give us give guys any advice. And I got droves and droves of um, comments and uh, retweets, etc. And so it obviously became a bit of a viral tweet. Um, and so I got a, my agent rang me and was like, Good morning, Britain have been in touch. And I was like, okay. And this was, I think, the day or two days after Piers Morgan had stormed off of set and essentially left Good Morning Britain. And so I think in my mindset, I was just a bit like, oh, I don't know if that's the right space for me. I yeah. don't want to get into that kind of a argument. Like, if that's if, if Piers Morgan is going to be there, I just didn't know whether I would be the right person to, to do that. Um, on national television. On national television, yeah, exactly. Um, but I spoke to the team and they said that Piers, you know, would not be... <laughs> would not be uh, in the interview and that essentially they were just looking for a uh, a male perspective amongst um, some a lot more credible people that were on the also on the panel um, so I was like okay why not and um, yeah gave it a go and I remember obviously this is the time of lockdown where everyone was doing everything on zoom and so I had my like really shoddy Mac camera and it was and I had to get up at the crack of dawn for it. And I was so nervous and just wanted to say the right things and not the wrong things. And But um, yeah, it was it was a cute little uh, it was a cute little moment. I'm glad I did it because I did get a lot of messages from guys that were like, oh, thank you. You know, if I hadn't seen your tweet previously. And now I have seen your tweet and I've, you know, um, got some really great advice from it, yeah. you know, so. But like I said earlier, like, you know, you've done your radio presenting stuff. You did your series, West Club Juniors. You're out here on national television talking about your social media use. We need, you need at least a podcast or something. Well, yeah, I wanted to do a podcast. I, I know, you I, threatened before. I have threatened. I've threatened a few times. Um, and maybe, maybe, maybe soon enough we'll get it, we'll get it up and running. But um, okay. yeah, I, uh, it's, it's a side that I really love. I love kind of like presenting and comparing and you have just... the best voice as well I, you sound thank so you. good in my ears right now <laughs> thank you um i love that side of the industry as well so it's definitely a place that i want to explore the, the thing was always i was always like once i've you know once i've solidified my place in musical theater then i can you know start <laughs> branching out and i guess no matter what you do you never quite think you've solidified your place you're always like whenever you're back to auditioning <laughs> you're like panic so um yeah, we'll get there eventually. I'm here for any advice, any tips that you need. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm gonna. Like, can I have all your equipment? Can I have your, all your production <laughs> skills, please? <laughs> yeah, whatever you need, whatever you need. Um, tell me about Jay Perry, who's sat here right now. What's getting him excited? What What's you know we, we were talking before about the shift of kind of before you were wanting to prove yourself, you established yourself, mm. you've conquered massive challenges. You know, you just come out of Hamilton where everyone's got to see like a whole different side of your talents and stuff where are you at now what 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 is making you hungry what do you want to be doing i've come out of hamilton again feeling very different to how i went into it um i've got a different kind of confidence i have a greater understanding of what i'm good at after finishing hamilton that's so interesting yeah i think that in this industry you can't you're very rarely great at everything um, and so I know that there's areas that I really shine in and there's areas that, you know, could do with a little bit of glossing, perhaps. But I think I really know what I'm good at now. And so the kind of roles that I'm interested in, the kind of direction that I want to go in is that, is the place that I see myself in. And I think I mentioned it earlier, I see myself as this showman, essentially. Like, I feel like I have 
this kind of MC energy where it's like I want to kind of be everything all at once on stage if you get I mean like that's where my joy comes in like I love the fact that I with Burr I did get to really act and really sing and really dance and all of them things were just rolled into one and just felt like I felt my most myself that I've ever felt on stage as Burr and so I know now how to put that into every character I do knowing how to find the me within that character is the joy and that's where I get my joy out of what we do now and so that was a very convoluted way of saying um that yeah i want to just shine in uh the area that i know i can and would you consider something about podcasting talking about acting um it popped up on that instagram q a as well someone's like when are you going to start producing some theater i can so see you doing things beyond being on stage I can so see that yeah that's definitely like that is in the next five years that's the transition that's the transition it's not 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 to say that I won't perform I love performing performance is where my absolute joy is but like yeah I also want to start kind of creating work for others creating work for myself but in a way that you know all of the things that I try and preach on you know on Twitter and you know um I want to see myself be able to put them into fruition within the industry you know create environments and spaces where everyone feels safe and Mm. you know um represented Mm, absolutely it's so interesting hearing everything you've got to say so interesting you just what you just said there before about knowing what you're good at and what you're great at but honestly really want to stress like i had earlier i had simon gordon in here who was just um finish up in Heather's and he was like oh who have you got you know what you're doing rest of your day I was like I'm doing another interview he was like who with I said Jay Perry he said oh I saw him in Beautiful he was amazing and I'm like yes I did a podcast Natalie Sango a couple of years ago she's like no I want to be in Hamilton with Jay Perry you know what I mean? <laughs> you're someone that people want to work with or people want to be in the room with you people you know are out here saying amazing things about you and I think that's testament to kind of how you your work ethic how you're pushing yourself how you're representing yourself, where you're speaking up for what you believe in, all those things. Um, I think it's incredible. I think you're amazing. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. No, yeah, it's... Uh, we're out here just having fun, aren't we? Like, there's exactly. so much fun to be had in this industry. And so getting that balance right, isn't it? It's about, mm. like, as much as I can, you know, give people a hard time maybe on Twitter and stuff, I'm also a lot of fun and don't take it that seriously either. And so that's the fun part. It's finding the sweet spot, isn't it? Have you seen any theatre recently? So I haven't seen anything since I've um, finished Hamilton because I went straight into a workshop and I did that for Ah, oh, yes. Weeks. Yeah, and this so... This is all top secret workshop. This is top secret. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> I was in it with Tom Scanlon and he's like huge on TikTok and he was doing these things where he kept like trying to hint at what we were doing or like trying to like tease everyone with a reveal that we knew we could never of, ever offer anyone. So the whole two weeks he had everyone on like cliffhangers of what they thought it was and um i don't think anyone was anywhere near to be honest but it was an absolute blast we were it's an incredible cast um lauren byrne who can i just say yes i'm obsessed with her i didn't know much about lauren before 
we did this gig together and I am obsessed with her. She is so incredibly talented. Mm-hmm. What a star. Mm-hmm. Um, Black, Blake Patrick Anderson. Like We're talking like stars. Like a, it, was, it was a lovely cast to be a part of. Mm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Would that be something, would that project maybe be something that you want to do more of? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully if it takes off, um, it could be a really fun and again, something completely different for Joe Perry. So that's nice. Great. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. For doing this. Thank you for being so kind. Not at all. I'm going to take all them compliments and <laughs> live off them for the rest of the week. <laughs> week, month at yeah. least, please. Um, I was saying for you, something that you, because you did this so early on that you never got on episode two. So it didn't exist back then properly, I don't think. But I have a little present. Oh my God. What thank you so much. could it be? <sighs> It, I think it might be a West End frame mug. Yes. Oh, you can hear this um, uh, unwrapping. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so gorgeous. Whatever dressing room you're in next. Thank you so much. We need it sat on the dressing room table. Absolutely. And I always need mugs because I lose them relentlessly. Lose them? Yeah, because you know... Um, you know when you're rehearsing and stuff, like oh, you take a mug. I I'm that guy see. that takes the mug to rehearsals. It stays. So I've got mugs in like every rehearsal studio in <laughs> London because I've just forgotten them. But I will never forget Not this one. Lie, <laughs> if you go to a rehearsal room with a Western frame mug, chances are like you have like five other people who will have one. There's going to be a big <laughs> JP on the bottom of this mug. Don't you worry about it. No one is stealing this mug from me. It's so funny. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much to Jay for taking time out of his busy schedule to come and visit me in the podcast studio and record this episode of In The Frame. It was such a pleasure to have him back on a podcast um, because something has happened since the last time he was on. If you're enjoying this season of In The Frame, please hit subscribe or follow and you can even leave us an Apple Podcast rating or review. We love hearing from you, so follow West End Frame on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Check out our other podcast, The West End Frame Show, for your weekly stagey catch-up. And I'll be back next week with the legend that is Zoe Burkett, who is currently in the West End production of Moulin Rouge. But until then, thank you for listening. (laughs) 